Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My friend and colleague is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on Jeremy Berenbaum. He is the creative director for a new company, Classic, C-L-A-I-Q.com, and it is a new company on the horizon that is uh, in the business of selling uh, classic cars. Uh, Jeremy, uh, welcome to our podcast. We're eager to hear about your company, so thanks for joining us. Hey guys, hey James, Bruce, thank you for having me today. I'm excited to talk about Classic. Great. Can you tell us some background, um, uh, why the time was right to have this company, and did you guys determine that there's an uptick in the market for for Classic vehicles? Um, What's behind the um, the company? Yeah, let me give you a little bit of backstory, too. Um, The company kind of arose from David, our founder, created a Facebook group called uh, Classic Cars, and it became one of the biggest growing Facebook groups at, in the classic car world or in the car world in general. And right now we're at almost um, a million subscribers. And so that kind of created this avenue for us to have conversation with, you know, classic car aficionados and fans and collectors and ask them what they needed, what they wanted in the market. And, you know, I don't know about yourself, but I've bought classic cars multiple ways. You know, back in the day, you had the uh, auto traders and the newspapers that would go out and you'd run out and try and get ads. And then as the Internet comes through, um, the way people have tried to sell classic cars has kind of been evolving. And we kind of came to a place where we sat down and said, what can we do for our audience? To make it um, better for them, easier for them. What problems are they having in the classic car world when it is trying to purchase a car or sell a car? Um, and then we created this website, and we've been working on it uh, for the past year. And I wouldn't say the time is right now versus the time is now for us to launch. Yes. Um, but as you see, there are some other websites that are out there that um, are selling classic cars and we wanted to differentiate ourselves. Well, Jeremy, you wanted to promote a peace of mind. I think that's on your website. That's kind of a, a, a rule of thumb of, of what you're offering the either a prospective buyer or a, uh, a seller. Is that right? What is peace of mind? Yeah, total. Well, you know, now in such uh we, we think everything is, nationally or globally when you sell a car and you're trying to get the most eyeballs on it and peace of mind as a buyer might be that someone's looked at your car done a pre-purchase inspection and let you know what what that car is what problems it might have um so you know as a buyer uh peace of mind might be as a seller the process that we have set up so that someone comes out and takes photos of your car we list your car we list the photos none of that is done by you um, you're not worried about which websites to go list on. Where am I going to get the most eyeballs? How am I going to market my car? Uh, we're doing that for you. That's excellent. And I, I think you also have an escrow service too, right? So the exchange of money and the, the title exchange, I'm not sure how that all works, but somehow you've got it dialed in a bit. Yeah. Now, you know, buying a car across the country is is tough. And then some people say the the hardest part, 
only comes after you've purchased the car. Now you have to worry about shipping and sending the money and getting the pink slip. And there's not to say that there's distrust in the market, but when you're sending 10, 15, $20,000 to someone else, if you go to your bank and you say, Hey, I want to wire this money to this person, your bank's going to go, do you know this person? I don't know if you should do that. That's not, you know, a smart thing to do. Once you, once you send someone a wire, you don't have very much repercussions coming back to you. Um, same thing is you need to get a pink slip to you. So, um, with this third party escrow service that we have through a company called Dwala that allows us to transfer the money and transfer the title, um, and only let the funds be accepted once both parties are happy. Gotcha. Wow. So is it like a, how, how do you send a, a, like a pink slip? You have to physically send that then. Is it some kind of an overnight? Correct. To the, to yeah, the escrow service. Overnight. Okay. So yeah, th- these are all problems that I would have a problem online, but you're making it better for me here. I, I mean, I get it here because otherwise you want to do yeah, this in know, person, you know, you want to see the, you want to kick the tires and all that, but you guys also have that, those, uh, you have a like a professional inspectors all around. The, is it around the country or, or how? What's your area? Yeah, they're around the country. So we'll go out and find. We have a couple different companies we're working with that help us source inspectors, and they're all SAS certified, which means that they're mechanics and they know what they're looking at. Um, and like any inspection report, you have to read it, and you can't take it at you can't take anything at its face value. You have to look into it. You might want to ask the seller some extra questions about an issue you see, which is what you can use our online platform to do. You can message a seller while the car is up online um, and ask them a question about something you might see on that PPI. Do you ever have phone conversation or is it all through the web, private message? When you say phone conversation, you mean between a prospective buyer and a prospective seller? Correct. Uh, currently, not that is not available. Uh, we're hoping that everyone uses the online platform Got to it. ask okay. questions. But um, I could possibly see something like that opening up in the future. Uh, we're trying to, you know, just see how our users are using it currently, and then we can always adapt and change. And I think that's what the one thing about us being um, <clears throat> small and reactive is: if there's an issue that people are having, uh, we can change that quickly. That's the beauty of this, the way it is, the way you have it set up, right? You don't have to sit there and feel phone calls. Correct. And, um, it, you know, it makes it easy when some people get frustrated when they're looking for cars to buy online. Uh, sometimes you you see these websites that are just pulling ads from other places. Those cars aren't for sale anymore. You, that ad might be old and you, you get all excited. You call a person and say, hey, I'm calling about this. And the guy goes, I sold that three weeks ago. So on our website, the cars that are there are for sale. They're not for sale anywhere else. And on Sunday, the highest bidder will get them. Wow, sounds great. Jeremy, is the term classic car, is there a a good working definition or is it kind of, you know, eye of the beholder definition? For example, we, a couple of years ago, we interviewed a woman uh, in my neighborhood, our neighborhood, who had a a K-car and some people would look at that and say, not so good. And others would say, oh, I love that. And, you know, it was in pristine condition or close to pristine. But would that be, a, it was an 86, I think? Something like that. It was a convertible. Convertible. Right? And But what, what do you guys, if you do, do you have a, a definition that you 
consider classic? Yeah, I think, uh, first off, I think the industry definition of a classic car was anything that's 20 years old. But when you look at that number now, that's a 2000, uh, a car that you bought in 2000. So, um, the kind of line that we draw in the sand, because unfortunately you have to, when you're dealing with classic cars is, uh, 1994. Okay. Uh, that was kind of just a number we had put up there and figured we would stick with for a little while. Um, our community uh, that we built for the past three years is really strong in classic American cars. And when I say that, I want to say 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Slowly, we're starting to see 80s cars are really creeping up in value. Um, and there's no reason for us to exclude that because I think they are considered a classic car. As you get into the 2000s, you're now getting into more modern cars, uh, modern production larger numbers and i wouldn't consider those classics right right now bruce and you know, i go not ahead to say and not to say in 2060 we'd be looking back at some of these cars and say yeah that's definitely a 2013 camaro z28 that's a classic <laughs> yeah. if it doesn't have autonomous mode or electric then it's, <laughs> it's an old classic <laughs> that's right um right Jer- that's that's how we'll be looking at cars. Yes. Oh, you have to put gas in them or you, or you plug them in. Uh, the gas ones, that's a classic. That's yeah. right. Um, Jeremy, also, um, Bruce and I have been doing the podcast for, I don't know, almost three and a half years. But even in that short period of time, we've seen um, some of the old Jeeps uh, come into more prominence. We've seen uh, d- different things Broncos. now. Broncos. Who Ford Broncos. Old yeah, an old Ford yeah. Bronco now is, is going through the roof. Some of the early uh, Volkswagen vans that we've seen, the 21 window, 23 windows, are going for six-figure uh, prices. So even in a short time, we've seen some changes. So what you said is, is spot on that it just seems to be, well, as years go by, you're going to, yeah, like you said, you're going to have cars. Oh, it's a gas car. That's a that's a real classic. <laughs> that's going to be something to see. What what have you guys experienced in, in, your, in your short time? Um, have there been some trends that, that you know about now or what do you think might be on the horizon for a trend? Yeah, you definitely took my two trends right off the bat, like uh small classic SUVs and trucks. Yes. C10s, that sort of thing. They're going crazy through the roof. But what I'm starting to notice more is you're starting to see Mercury Cougars at the car show instead of Ford Mustangs. And you're getting these off-brand variants that, um, you didn't see too much. They weren't so desirable. And nowadays, like people want to be different. They want to have a classic car that isn't, you know, a Chevelle or a Nova or a Bel Air. They want something like an Oldsmobile, uh, just to stand out and be a little different. So I'm starting to see a little bit more value creep up in some of these cars that some people didn't consider valuable, like the hardcore classic car collectors, let's say long bed trucks and, um, four door cars. Those are things that back, you know, early 2000s classic car collectors were like, oh, those aren't worth anything. They're not desirable. But now you're starting to see a new crowd of people want those cars and want to do new different things to them. Yes. I, I see what you mean. I mean, I know my tastes have changed exactly what you said. Some of those old Oldsmobiles and, you know, the the Mercury line versus, a, you know, the Ford or something. Yeah, yeah. They were nothing at the time, and I, I kind of appreciate them now when I see them, I guess, because they're, so, they're scarce now. That's right. Yeah, you know, same with Buick versus the, the Chevrolet. 
for ley lines. Like you're starting to notice that Buick had gotten products before Chevy's did because Buick was the test bed. So um, some of the desire in those cars is a little bit different. And, you know, now with the internet and you can start finding and researching production numbers and, and all different options of cars, things, things are just becoming, uh, what do you, how do you say it? Like new to people again. Yes. I guess someday I'll like a Saturn too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, hey, you know what? They don't, they don't make them anymore. So <laughs> there's that sort of nostalgia to yeah. it. You know, you might've grown up with one. So you never know. Yeah. And who, who thought, well, I've referenced this a number of times on different episodes of our podcast, but who would have thought that the Pontiac Aztec would have a prominence after Breaking Bad, right? Uh, people want a Pontiac right. Aztec um, just for just for that reason alone, I think. Um, uh, what yeah, else? you have to look at like pop culture and what it does to, to cars, right? That's right. Uh, uh, speaking of your your this world that we're in of classic cars, and to remind the audience, it's c l a i s i q dot com. Um, what classic classic dot com classic dot com and so uh could you give us a couple of examples or or more than that of of the vehicles that you currently have on the site and uh maybe if you can how you acquired them what what that was like for the for the seller to come to you guys how how has that been progressing you guys are still relatively new yeah so first off we want to try and make it easy for sellers to bring their car to us i don't want to have to have you you know upload 30 pictures and write a whole story about your car. The best thing to do is go to our website. You just put your name, email, phone number, and then like a brief information. You're making model about your car and someone from classical call you kind of talk to you about it, teach you about um, what we're offering and see if, if we're a right fit to sell your car. Uh, currently on our website, we have a 1966 Ford Mustang high country which was a model that I, you know, my dad has a K-Code Mustang. I'm a pretty big Mustang fan. I had never seen or heard about the high country. I don't know if you guys know about it. I didn't. Just from your website. I saw it out there, but I didn't know what it was. It's one of 333 cars that was delivered to the Denver area in 66. um, And they did this for consecutive years. They had a little bit different tuning, kind of a snow package, And, you know, in the world of Mustangs, you know, you don't want just some standard run-of-the-mill Mustang. Any collector will tell you that. So it's kind of nice to see that there's something new that I didn't know about that's, you know, got some rarity to it. Okay. And how about another? Go go ahead, another example for us. Yeah, we have a 66 Pontiac Bonneville convertible, which is beautiful. Um, It's a one-family car. Uh, grandfather bought it new and they've kept it in the family its entire life. And at this point, I think, um, unfortunately you start to see that kids, you know, of the younger generation don't want to care for these cars like, uh, other family members have. And so this car, um, is being sold from the original family. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other cars that we have this week. Um, there's a 79 midget, and a uh, Pontiac 1980 Pontiac Firebird. Great. I saw that Firebird. Yeah, that's a man. Those things were so popular back in the day. There were so many of those running around. Now it's rare to see one. Yeah, and you know what's kind of interesting? Um, I guess not interesting, but we also have a section on our website that has content 
And um, last year I got to go to Detroit and sit down with some original classic car designers. And one of the designers I sat down with was the original designer, uh, excuse me, the original drawer of the bird that goes on the hood of those cars. Oh, that's great. The Screaming Eagle, huh? Wow. That's a better story. Screaming Eagle. So that... That was Bill Porter, and I got to sit down with him, and he talked about how he drew that on a napkin sitting at lunch one day. Oh, huh. I thought I had a good story. I went to a, a, a function with Audi years ago, a, a writer's trip for a few days, and I was in the test car with the guy who uh, designed the Audi rings. But your story is much better than mine. I like your story better. The, the old napkin thing, that's a, that, that goes <laughs> that's with like every old story. Every old like story is on a Write famous songs yeah. on a napkin or a matchbook cover, but yours is yours is a good one. Um, Jer- Jeremy, what's the uh, um, procedure for screening buyers? I wasn't sure how that worked. So if I got on there, I think I, I want to, you know, buy a car, uh, you know, that 60 or that 80 Bonneville or whatever it was. How do I do it? Yeah, so you would uh, go to classic.com. You would register to be a bidder, which would have you input your name, email, uh, create a user account with a username, and then input a credit card so that when you bid, we uh, can authenticate you. Okay, that sounds easy. And these cars have uh, reserves on them, I'm assuming? These, These current cars do. I know in the future we have some cars that are come up that don't have reserves. But um, currently, because, you know, we're a new new website and we want to make sure that everyone is happy with the sale of their car, that these ones do have a reserve. What about the valuation process? Um, is it, like you mentioned, the one-family car, do they, do they consult with you? Do you consult with them and say they, they want, you know, a million dollars for it and you say, no, it's worth ten grand? How What kind of process is that? Yeah, you know, that's really interesting you bring that up because um, – my dad and I sit on websites all the time and watch some of these cars go for auction and get really frustrated with the fact that all this effort goes into the work and, and you're doing research on the car and then it never ends up selling. You know, a bunch of people are bidding on it. And I think that's the most important thing when we list a car on our website is that the reserves are rational and reflect other cars in the market and reflect current trends. And so we have a conversation with these people um, before we lift their car, and we want to make sure that, one, they're comfortable, and, two, we think that we can get the money that they want to get for this car because it's, it's not worth it to either of us if we say, yeah, we're going to sell your car and, and just shake our heads when they give us their reserve, and it's not, you know, reasonable. Right. I think that there... It, At the end of the day... At the end of the day, you know, we're trying to provide the service for the buyer and the seller, and it only works if a reserve is in a rational, you know, location. Sure. It kind of reminds me of the housing market. If, um, you know, if somebody can wait and wait and wait and they price their house way too high, but they can afford to wait and wait and wait, they might get it. But if they want to sell the house, they look at comps and they put it out of good fair value and somebody's going to come in and maybe even offer more than they're asking, and it, it works better that way than to shoot for the moon and, and never sell. Yeah, but, and I think that's the way, you know, an auction should work is, you know, let the buyers deser- determine the price, not let the seller just put it out there for some, some guy pie in the sky to come over and say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that, you know, because that's not really how us as actual buyers in the classic car world work. 
We see that in the uh, live auction houses. It seems like half the cars don't meet reserve and they go off. They didn't, you know, they weren't sold. And then they have sort of an, what is it called? An after auction. Yeah, an after auction auction. Yeah, yeah an after auction auction. <laughs> they try that. But it's, yeah, it's silly. The you got to make it, re, just, you know, reasonable. Just to get eyeballs. Right. right. Yeah. <clears throat> we saw that particularly at, at um, Bruce and I have a, we've had a relationship with the Mecham auction. We've been to the, the one in uh, Monterey Peninsula a couple times, and, and they have exactly that, where if the car doesn't sell, they put them out on one of the holes of the golf course where the auction's held, and you can call the buyer individually and negotiate. And, and we saw a lot of cars out on that golf course that just didn't meet. And then, of course, some of them, every once in a while, there's a nugget, and somebody gets a really good deal, and sometimes the prices are way too high. But um, anyway, that's the way the world works. So um, in your company, by the way, I wanted to ask just a couple of business things. Um, if you care to share, how, how many of there are you? Uh, and, and where do you have a, uh, in the COVID world, are you all working remotely? Do you have um, a central location? Or is it all scattered because so, of the situation that we're in the, in the world? Well, we're kind of scattered around Los Angeles. We try and meet up once a week, you know, either outside at a table and talk just so we can, you know, be together as, sure. as a team. But there are, there's like eight of us that communicate daily together. And then we have, you know, our team of engineers and some designers that are um, not in the LA area, but we still get to see them, you know, be a FaceTime or whatever it is daily. Gotcha. I would think this COVID deal um, is actually a good time to start a business like yours. The online presence. It gives presence. you a lot of time. It gives you a good time to focus on something, right? Yes. And with yeah. not everything else around, you get kind of hungry at getting it done. So, you know, I can speak for myself and the rest of the team. We've all been really excited to get this out here this week. Sure. And the uh, I just mean your uh, buyers and sellers. You know, they're not going to the... Um, Auctions and stuff. Auctions and, the, you know, the parking lots and kicking tires because you're not supposed to congregate and all that much. Yeah, I totally get that. You know, I think we're seeing that a lot more people are just using the Internet uh, for their daily lives right now. So we're glad to be able to help with that. Well, I, li- I like your uh, – you mentioned it earlier about the uh, – Oh, the, well, the mechanics go over the car, and you get that report, and it's right there on your website so that the prospective buyer can, can look at that. And I thought that was really good when I was looking over that your website last night. You know, they go over everything, brakes, uh, you know, how, how the car handles, noise, muffler's got a hole in it, whatever. And it's pretty informative stuff. Otherwise, you'd have to take it to your own shop, which I'm sure you still could, I yeah. guess. And, and you know what, some people might choose to do that, but we're just saying that at least every car listed on our site has had, you know, one set of human eyeballs that have looked at it, um, you know, with a mechanical background and they're given some sort of knowledge. Right. And I, I saw it on a couple of them. They were mentioning rust, you know, and the door sills and that type of thing where most people wouldn't even know that. That's true. Uh, Jeremy, I and, and you know what? They're not someone that works for us. They're giving their honest third-party opinion. It's not because, you know, you know, they have no tie to us in terms of selling the car. Once they've appraised it, that's their deal. So, you know, it's, it's very honest. Right. That's what it appeared to be, yeah. Jeremy, and uh, since you guys are in Southern California, I'm assuming that that's a hotbed for classic cars. But have you found uh, in other areas that maybe that might not come to mind readily that – 
hey, um, South Dakota is a hotbed for classic cars or, uh, I don't know, somewhere in, the, in, in Mississippi. Have you guys determined any, any other spots in the country that for some reason or another that the place has a lot of owners of classic cars? You know what? Not really, but I will say one area that surprised me more than anything is like the Pacific Northwest because I assumed, you know, everyone always thinks the East Coast with their winters and everything that there's not a lot of classic cars or they're parked during the winter, which they are. But um, I was just surprised by the amounts of classic cars in the Pacific Northwest region um, just because of the cold, wet weathers that they have. Yes, that's a that's it. people say. Yeah, don't buy a don't buy a used car if it's you know in a on the Monterey Peninsula, for example, where there's oceans. You know, people get a lot of salt and stuff. And don't buy a used car on the, in the ocean areas. But I don't know if that even holds true anymore. People take if you have a good car, people usually take care of them. Um, and there are plenty of classic car companies on on the Bay Area. I've I've walked into some of their warehouses, and there's there's some beautiful. Well, there's a lot of money there, so there's it makes sense that there'd be good cars, but. Um, that's interesting. Northwest. Uh, that's good. Um, in another area, do you guys have your eyeballs on something that you guys would say, gosh, uh, maybe we can find the, the, the junkyard somewhere that nobody else knows about. And all of a sudden we're going to come into some um, whatever it might be, some Ferraris that people forgot about or or old, Oldsmobiles or Pontiacs. Do you guys have um, a specific thing that you want to have on your site that you're looking for? You know, we're always hunting for, you know, something different. I'd love to, you know, I like to, to showcase cars that people haven't seen or things that are different. Um, I wouldn't say there's anything specifically we're hunting down right now. But, you know, if, if any of your listeners have a cool car or a cool story, you know, we love to share the story of these cars. I think that's what bonds us all together on them. And, uh, you know, sometimes that helps sell that car. So we're always looking for something that's not just an ordinary car. Gotcha. Well, um, Jeremy, thanks very much for being available today. And we want to remind people it's www.classic.com, uh, classic, unusual spelling. But it's a new company. They're doing good things. You guys have a good background. You know what you're doing. And um Thanks for being our guest today on the on the Weekly Driver Podcast. Um, we appreciate it and wish you guys nothing but the best on, on your business. Thank you guys for allowing me to come on and talk and uh, spend some time with you guys. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Jeremy. Have a good day. Bye. You too.